very welcome along. It's the gardening program here on Midwest Radio on this Saturday morning. Porik, good morning. Good to morning, you. Deirdre. And good morning. A week off, but welcome back. Uh, it's good to be grabbed back, isn't it? <laughs> good to Autumn have you back. Autumn certainly. Uh, yeah, and in uh, your very brief absence, uh, things have changed. Sure it's have. literally uh, kind of topsy turvy. But I think we're about to change back again. We are. So the last after, time I'm going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after all that uh, wind, etc., at the earlier part of last week, I think things are uh, today and tomorrow kind of a bit, bit of a mixed bag. But temperatures coming back up a small oh, bit. Oh yeah, the high pressure is coming in certainly from Monday right through. So we're going to have actually a, a great gardening week. We're probably going to see the first of the frosts. I would are imagine. We? Well, with high pressure, once you get that high pressure, obviously it's going to be clear skies during the day and at night time. So I would say temperatures certainly at night time are going to get a little bit cooler um, so there's no frost pr- promised or forecasted but once you get high pressure, sustainable high pressure the nights get tend to get a little bit colder um, so we'd probably see a bit of that but look the good news really from Monday on is that we're going to be back into that lovely dry weather and it's a great opportunity to put the garden not to bed, but to tidy up the garden. Mm. And you know yourself, after all the storm we've had during the week, there are leaves down, there are bits of branches along the sides of the road, um, and the garden certainly needs a good tidying up. And I think it's a great time of year for starting the old compost heap. And there's plenty of leaves, albeit that they're green, you know, scattered across lawns and so on. So if people are tidying up their garden and taking that leaf litter, um, then certainly start, maybe consider putting together a, a compost heap at this time of year because if you start now it's going to be of so much use next April and May in, in the vegetable garden or in, in your garden in general. Long care continues so again with the mild temperatures the storm brought brought very mild temperatures up from the south as well so the temperatures have been quite high yes. so growth is still very very strong um, and you'll notice on hedges and on trees there are still lots of young growth uh, pushing forward and lawns are no different they've been growing um, qu- quite strongly so my advice really is to continue to mow the grass it may be a difficult the past week but this coming week now is going to be ideal to get out there tidy up the lawn do take care of the moss control I mentioned that a week or two ago um, so putting down the zero now at this time of year and doing that every about once every six to eight weeks over the winter period will stop the spread of moss over the, the lawn. And of course, law, autumn feeding. If you want to feed your lawn, get a nice green colour. This is the perfect time of year to do that. So they're the type of things I'll be doing in, in terms of the lawn. Also reseeding if people have a lawn to sow or they want to repair any damaged areas, the germination of lawn seeds and, and seeds in general will happen. I mean, if people even just look around their garden, I noticed my own garden after being away for a week, the weeds have, have certainly... Have they made their presence felt? Well, you can see a new generation, a new uh, uh, germination of weeds with the warm temperatures and the moisture we're having. So, you know, this is the time of year. Don't leave those things hanging over. Tackle them and treat them now for the... Um, you know, before we get into winter. Um, The bulb planting, so we're in the full season of planting bulbs and gardening is all about that whole thing of of, uh, what we sow, we reap and that that forward planning. So people always admire the tulips and daffodils and snowdrops in the springtime, but this is the time to to plant them. And soil conditions are still, with all the rain we've had during the week, they're actually still very, very dry. I think they were commenting on the, uh, the ploughing championships how even with all the rain, the, the ground itself was fairly solid. It, it was, yeah. It just ran off. It just was absorbed so quickly because soil deficit is still quite high and uh, the, so- the soil is extremely warm still at the moment. So it's great planting 
conditions and great planting weather because here in the west we've still got plenty of a reasonable quali- uh, amount of moisture in the soil but um, the soil is very workable so the planting of all the spring flowering bulbs the crocuses, snowdrops, daffodils, dwarf daffodils all of those can be planted at this time of year there's a lovely scented uh, daffodil a little dwarf one called Pepet which is quite a nice one it's a two-toned yellow and white variety mm-hmm. it only grows about eight or nine inches in height Sent it in the springtime when it comes into flower. And that's a lovely one to plant up now in, say, a rockery or a border or under heathers or even to put them into pots. If you don't know where you're going to plant them, put them into a few pots, let them grow on over the winter and plant them out then in the springtime. Um, In terms of tidying the garden, in terms of trimming back plants, things like... Budlias have gone out of flower. Many of the summer shrubs have gone out of flower this time of year, hypericums and so on. So if you wanted to just kind of trim back and tidy back, say your roses have gone out of bloom, particularly with the stormy weather, it's a good idea and a good time of year to trim those back, taking a foot or 18 inches off them. You're taking the weight out of the plant. You're stopping Mm. the wind from rocking them over the winter. Um, So... A general tidying up of summer flowering shrubs. Now, things like hydrangeas are still in flower and they can be left well enough alone till springtime. But for most other, uh, certainly hedges, because they've produced new growth, laurel hedging and grisselini and so on, they can be tidied and trimmed now. Beach hedging can be trimmed as well. And generally, garden shrubs will benefit from a slight bit of a tidying back now. You're taking more of the weight out of the plants than anything else. And, and particularly for more vigorous plants like buddleias or hypericums, they tend to grow very fast. They tend to get whipped a little bit in the winter with, with windy weather. So it's a good idea to, to trim those back. The planting then of hedges, the planting of trees can be mm-hmm. done at this time of year. It's really a good time. For those that, people that like a little bit of uh, grow your own, things like garlic should be planted at this time of year. There's a lovely variety called Marco. If you like strong garlic, really okay. highly, strongly flavoured garlic, yeah. that's a, a really good one. Marco, it can be planted at this time of year. Garlic is winter hardy, so irrespective of the weather we get over the autumn or winter or spring, and it actually starts to grow. So once you buy the bulbs, you split them up, you plant them in the soil and you just forget about them. And irrespective of the weather, they'll continue to grow right through the winter period. And things like Japanese onion sets, which are the winter Japanese hardy uh, onions, they can be, they're, they're the normal set. You purchase them at this time of year. So there's varieties like Electra, which is a red-skinned variety, lovely mild flavour. Um, but there's also the, the, the regular varieties as well, about three or four varieties you can plant at this time of year in the Japanese onion family right. and again totally winter hardy and again some of the the veg plants the winter vegetable plants can be planted now as well now i chatted to you a couple of months ago about the um robotic moor the gardenia oh, yes. moor okay has and that been going all over the summertime it has it's been fabulous because i've yeah. been away for a week we'll just recap for people who maybe uh, weren't party to the conversation and okay. and the uh, and the robotic moor when we when you first started testing it so yeah so so this was this was an idea i had back in kind of february or early march um robotic moors have been coming to the market for the last, the last number couple of years, years. Yeah. um i'm the type of guy that loves to cut the grass but finds it difficult with, from a time point of view and as, also as from a weather people, yeah. and from a weather point of view and uh, just getting that right spot to get the lawn so Gardini actually gave me a mower back in February or March to test and um, with the agreement that I kind of keep people informed about and how it works and so on so they're relatively simple to put, to install because I installed it myself <laughs> with, with reasonable success and uh it has been working. It cuts the lawn effectively every day. So it goes out for maybe three or four hours. I have it on an area at the back of the garden. It's about 700 square metres. And it takes probably the more two to three hours to cut the, the grass. So it goes out every day. It's only taken one sixteenth of an inch. 
Okay, of, not that I've measured it, but that's what they small. tell me. Yeah. And it because it's going out on a regular basis, even in wet weather, it will it will cut the grass. It keeps it very neat, very tidy. And the condition of the lawn, I've put up a couple of posts on my Facebook page um, showing people the quality of the lawn. That's what I'm impressed with, more so than anything else. It is because it gets that regular trim every day, it keeps it in a really, really neat condition and very full and very dense and, um, you know, very, very little weed, if, if anything. A so little it's bit really of almost pure grass. It is. It's a fantastic, because the, the, the little piece of grass that's actually cut from the moor falls back onto the soil and feeds the grass. So there's no collection of grass. So it's, it's almost like self-composting. Yeah. Exactly. It's, that's exactly what it's doing. It's self-composting. The, 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 the uh, grass is feeding the, the rest of the grass. But it's worked very well. But I've agreed with the Gardenia lads. They're going to come next week to the garden centre in Turlock. They're going to do a demo on the various types of mowers that they have. So if people are interested in robotic mower, and, 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 and I suppose what I've seen from it is it's very time-saving, very low cost to run. So they, I mean, they're telling me it'll cost me 20 euros to run the machine for the year. Okay, because it, it's just powered on electricity. Yeah, it's that, like your yeah. mobile phone. Yeah. It, it comes back into the, a housing unit, it recharges automatically and out it goes again. Um, and they're very simple to maintain as well because all you do is you change, there are three little blades. Um, I've changed them once. A screwdriver will change them. And, and so they're, they're, they're very simple to use very effective. I'm very impressed with it um, and so Gardenia have agreed to send down some of their uh, technical guys next weekend so that's next Saturday and Sunday in our store in Castlebar um, Richie and Brian from Gardenia will be there, they'll talk to people, they'll show them the various types of more, mm. talk to them about them and give them some advice. Um, but certainly it's as I said before, I'm not giving it back. <laughs> right, okay, so it's, it's definitely... I think uh, it's going to be something yeah. for the future. What they're saying to me from, from a trade point of view, what they're seeing, the trade is they're taking over where they ride on moors. That's the market really they're replacing. They're replacing. Because they'll do up to an acre. They'll do up to 5,000 square metres, which is over an acre of grass. So they're And they're particularly good for sloped Slopes. areas. Yeah. So if you've got a, an elevated, they'll, they'll cut grass at 45 degree angles, which is a very, very steep slope. Mm. So if you've got sloped areas in the garden or awkward areas in the garden, or for older people that just find... The, the, the maintaining of a, a large lawn area, they're very, very effective. Um, so, yeah, highly recommend them. So, look at that. We've put that on for next weekend. So, that's next Saturday and Sunday in the centre in Turlock. They'll have a couple of mores um, being demoed, and the guys will be there to talk to people about them. And uh, so, come along, have a chat with the guys. And- and, and they'll give you more information basically right. on them, but certainly I can endorse it. Okay, it's definitely something I think that will be coming more and more common uh, in the future, all right. So. Well, I've, yeah, and I was at a show, a trade show in Spoga in Germany uh, two or three weeks ago, and, and again, the trend out there is towards um, away from the petrol moors and more to battery operators, even for, for strimmers and hedge trimmers and uh, all the okay. garden, even and, and a whole range of walk behind moors yeah. as well. well I suppose it makes them maybe lighter to use from, uh, you know, just in terms of the physical weight of, particularly I think hedge trimmers, I find them, gosh, I'm, you know, they're so, quite heavy, yeah, yeah, they're cumbersome. Um, and the other side, I suppose, then is that you're not quite as dependent on the fossil fuel, whether it's the mix or whatever it is that you're putting into your, into your machine. So now that we are moving on in terms of our um, ability to kind of have renewable energies and stuff, it just yeah. means that those kind of things maybe can take advantage of 
that. And the battery packs are just yeah. becoming more, yeah. just so, so you know, just high grade yeah. and super. So yeah. I think that's, you're going to see that trend definitely coming into a lot more of, of uh, machinery, okay. more battery up or more electric. We've seen it in the cars right. and so on. So it's that technology that's kind of filtering yeah. through. So if people around next, next Saturday, Saturday and Sunday, we'll remind right. them next Saturday yeah. anyway, and the guys will be there to, to talk to them in the Turlock Centre. And go along and see what it's all about. Yeah, but look, at the, the, the point really I'm making is this week, use, use the dry weather to kind of get on top of the garden, get it back neat and tidy, do the bit of trimming, sowing of seeds, sowing of lawn seed in particular, look after the lawn because it'll, it'll save you in the springtime. The other thing I've noticed, which I did my, this week myself, the moss is coming back on the paving and the tarmac. Mm. So again, nip it in the bud now, treat it now with the pack. The again, on a dry day, yeah. yeah. I did my own, I think, Tuesday, Tuesday morning and already the moss is gone so it works very very rapidly but you're, you're nipping it in the bud stopping it from spreading so moss in general just treat it now before it you know before, before on your, both on your it, yeah. lawn and on the uh, tarmac surfaces and don't be saying in a six weeks time oh I should have done it I know well there will certainly next spring <laughs> <laughs> okay that's what we were talking about the cost of the robotic mowers yep. somebody was wondering about that I, I suppose it's like anything you know uh, the bigger the more expensive it's of course be. they are yeah. but from a, from a starting point the start around 800 euros okay. and they can go up to you know yeah. a couple of thousand yeah. depends on, on how big the area depends yeah. on the size you know obviously yeah. all those variables taken into account but kind of yeah so the baseline in or around the 800 yeah. and look at if people are interested come along next Saturday and, and Sunday uh, of next week and, and uh, talk to the guys but there's a whole different range in sizes and so on okay great now uh, let's talk about fruit trees lots of questions in uh, and a great one to start somebody wondering about starting an orchard they have a spare quarter of an acre uh, what can I grow to prepare the soil and when do I plant? And it's been a fantastic year for fruit. Mm. I had a beautiful apple yesterday from my own garden, a variety called James Grieve. It actually fell off. Uh, I have it growing in a in a pot and mm-hmm. it, it, it fell with a storm. And uh, But, you know, just eating the apple, that's what just came to my mind, how you just don't get these apples to buy in the shops anymore. That You know, there's a fantastic flavour from them. So James Grieve is a lovely variety. But in terms of planting, um, this is we're coming into a perfect time. Autumn is the time to plant fruit in general. Um, if people are putting in, I think that customer, that, that listener has a, up to half an, a quarter half of an acre. Quarter of an acre. So my advice really is to, is to make sure that the area is weed-free. So if there's any grass, rubbish, dandelions, whatever there, you're better off to clean the area. So I would apply something like the Weed Free 360 again on a dry day and that'll just eliminate any any um, competition from weeds that might be there presently. So that will generally die off within a five to seven day period and then you're good to plant. The beauty about Weed, three, weed Free 360 is that it doesn't contaminate the soil. So it'll leave the soil in clean conditions. If you've got a quarter of an acre, then you can grow quite a wide range of um, fruiting plants. Apple, um, apple trees in particular would be very good so I would put maybe a dozen 15 apple trees in there a mixture of both um, dessert varieties that James Grieve is actually a lovely eating apple but others like Bramley or Grenadier or Charles Ross are brilliant for cooking purposes so a blend of maybe both Um, you can also add things like pears, plums, fruiting cherries all do well fig trees do well here in Ireland Um, and then all the soft fruit so you've got the raspberries the blueberries. Blueberries require um, acid soils so they can either be grown in pots or you can prepare a special area with lots of peat and lots of ericaceous compost but they're well worth growing as well. Uh, gooseberries, blackcurrants, redcurrants, whitecurrants, rhubarb, strawberries. I mean yeah. there's such a wide range and all of those do very well here in the west of Ireland if they're 
cared for in a you know in a reasonable way in terms of a certain amount of pruning, a little bit of feeding. But you know the, the uh, fruit trees don't require a huge amount of work, but there is some work in terms of keeping them pruned and tidy. My advice is really to go for varieties that are on dwarf dwarfing rootstocks. So the Coronet family is a very good range of Irish bred and Irish grown apples. I think there's 14 in the collection. James Grieve is one of the varieties, uh, but other lovely varieties like Katie, um, Egmont Russet is another favourite of mine. It's got, the skin of it is like sandpaper. Okay. But it's got a fantastic flavour. Yeah, so, so for some the people... Sandpaper it, wouldn't be selling well, it. Well, for some people, it, it kind of annoys their teeth yeah. you know, when you bite into it. But it is a beautiful variety, Egmont Russet. It's a real old variety. Um, but there are, a lot, there are 14 different varieties in the Coronet family. What I find with them is they only grow to about 7 or 8 feet in height. They grow similar in width. So they allow you to pick the apple from the tree. You don't have to get out the stepladder. They're very easy prune. They fruit in their first year. So the, the tree that I have in the pot, albeit it only had 4 or 5 apples, mm. was only planted this... March in the pot. Okay, so you had a, you had, in other words, you had a harvest. From you had from the from the from, from the very first day. Um, you can also get if for people that have smaller areas, maybe only a patio, a patio or a balcony or whatever, you can get a variety called the family apple tree, which has two different varieties grafted onto the one tree. But look, this is the time of year. Any time from September, October, up to the end of October, early November is a really good time for planting fruit trees in general. And for the listener that has that larger area, certainly I would clean it off first of all, then start planting. You can also plant, you can have a, a, a apple trees and things like goose, gooseberries planted underneath them or rhubarb planted underneath them. So you can use the space, if you wish, underneath the apple trees for other fruiting plants strawberries would work very well under uh, apple trees but look at a quarter of an acre has got the, you've got plenty of space there um, so again clean off the area plant it the other thing you can do in an orchard is plant things like spring bulbs as well so you have a little bit of variety little there bit of in colour. springtime yeah and it helps too a lot of the orchards when I visited uh, the Victorian wall garden this year they had planted oregano right at the base of the apple trees because oregano comes into flower early so it helps with the pollination it and the bees. It attracts the bees. It brings the bees into the garden. It's a so good, good companion plant. Great, great companion plant. So they have oregano planted right at the base of all their fruiting plants in the Victorian garden above in, in uh, the Phoenix Park. Well worth a visit. And the trees were just dripping with fruit this year. So even commercially, a lot of the uh, uh, commercial orchards will, will plant uh, bee-friendly plants, Phacelia, the one that I often recommend, uh, they'll plant that as, as an attraction to bring. It also brings the hoverfly in, and the hoverfly not only is a pollinating insect, but it also it hoovers up the green fly. Okay. So, so they attract him in. Yeah, so, so it is beneficial to grow uh, high pollen or, or, or uh, plants that attract bees in your orchard as mm. well. So oregano is a great one because it flowers for so long, but facilia is very good as well. Or red clover would be another good one as well. So look, at a really good time to plant. For listeners that have apples, as I mentioned two weeks ago, you need to harvest them. You need to take them in now because they, the, the wasps and, and the, the birds will get them. Um, and it is, we're coming into the time for pruning them back. Right. Yeah, because yeah, I, I just see, I suppose, uh, the, the antithesis <laughs> of, of starting the orchard, somebody's picked all their apples, a bit like yourself, Porek, this week. Wonderful crop of all types of apples and store them as you described. The question, is, and this is a recurring question, can I trim them back now or is this better in winter and do we need to spray and feed them now? Yeah, well, what I would do is, yeah, certainly if you've cleaned all the apples, go ahead and prune them now, even though there's some leaf on them, that won't make any difference. Generally, the pruning of apples at this time of year, you, you shorten back, whatever growth the med this year, you shorten that back by two thirds. So if the med 
a foot of growth, you're taking kind of eight inches off the plant. Um, so tidy them all back. Uh, ideally, apples should have a nice clean stem and a kind of round head. And then you can treat them. Once the leaf goes off them, you can put on a winter wash, which is a simple, simple liquid. You mix it with water, you apply it onto the stems, and that kills off any bugs that might be overwintering. And the other thing I do with the apple trees is put a bit of potash on at this time of year, sulphate of potash. That helps to slow down the growth. Um, it tends to induce flower buds and better flowering and better health in the trees as well. So a little bit of sulphate of potash, you get that in your local garden centre, shake that around the base of all fruiting plants and that kind of sets them up for next year. And that's really it. Clean off any weeds that might be at the base of them. Plant a few spring bulbs. And, and that's it. And away, and away you, you go. go, yeah. So a really good time of year as we come into autumn for planting fruit. Okay, and that covers both the larger fruiting trees and as what we'll call the bushes, like the black currant or the... The, you know, the winter wash. Yes. Yeah, it, on all fruiting plants, all woody fruiting plants you can use. So blueberries, gooseberries, black currants, yes. everything. Once the leaf is gone, it kind of, it, 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 as it suggests, it winter washes the tree, it cleanses the tree down and it, and it stops the bugs becoming a problem in the in next spring. Now, we're going to stay with fruit trees for a second. Somebody's looking to move a cherry fruit tree is it all right to move this month and what can we oh well then we'll come back to polytunnels so it needs to be left until the leaves go off the tray um, cherries are very surface rooting the roots are, will be very very close to the surface within a foot of you know once you start digging it but ideally it wants to be left till November so unless there's an, uh, an urgency to move it I would leave it till it absolutely drops all its leaves dig it up make sure you replant at the same level because cherries do like their roots close to the surface of the soil and uh, but they will transplant no problem but leave it till November Okay fantastic now a couple of questions relating to I suppose wind damage and storm damage specifically wind damage some of my maple trees with broken stems and larger branches now can I cut them back and how hard do I cut them well the great thing about maples anything in the maple family the sycamores for example are in the maple family or anything in the acer family they respond brilliantly to hard pruning so they're one of these trees that if you really go in even with a little chainsaw and, and prune back the branches they reshoot again in the spring so they're you can't do them any harm let, let's put it that way so Anything that's been physically damaged, obviously cut it back to the nearest bud. Um, so saw it off or prune it off with a secateurs or a loppers um, and tidy it back. Try to give a bit of shape to the maple as well. Obviously, if it's a bit lopsided, maybe prune the other side of the tree as, as well. Um, and any, any wounds that are more than four inches in diameter, it's a good idea to treat them with the prune and seal. So you can get a simple little liquid treatment um, and you just dab it on to the cut end uh, so any trees you're pruning you could just dab that on there's a fungicide added to it and it'll control any diseases getting into the tree but certainly I would tidy them all back now with maples you have absolutely no worries whatsoever prune them back as hard as you want and you can be guaranteed they'll reshoot next spring Okay now the I think it's the Virginia creeper the ivies anyway are really vibrant at the minute um, Oh yeah the, with the yeah, red leaf, with the red yeah, leaf yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah So when is the time to plant the red ivy to cover the walls are there different types and how fast will they cover a plastered wall and is any special soil needed? Okay, so yeah. soil-wise they'll grow in ordinary garden soil so they're relatively easy to grow. Now with all climbers when you're planting them at the base of walls generally at the base of a wall you have a foundation you've got rubble uh, you know, it's unusual to get a nice big deep bed of soil yes. <laughs> right beside the wall. So the important thing first and foremost with any climber you put in is to, to tr do the soil, prepare the soil well. If that means taking out some stone or rubble, then do that. And you need to be putting in about a barrow of soil for each plant that's going in. So you need to prepare the soil well, I suppose, the first, the first point. But they will grow in ordinary garden soil. Virginia creepers are self-clinging. 
which is great. So you don't need any trellis or any um, wires or anything like that at all. So once you plant them, spread the branches left and right as low down as possible on the wall and tack them on with a few electrician clips. And then as we come into spring, the new growth sucks onto the wall and off it goes. It takes off. They generally put on three to four, maybe five feet of growth per year. So they're quite, quite vigorous and they will cover an eight foot wall within a couple of years comfortably. There are basically three types. So we have Parthenocissus tricuspidata. <laughs> Something with three suckers on it. Three leaves. Three leaves, sorry. Or three lobes. Yeah. So that's the Boston ivy, tri- tricuspidata. Boston ivy has a leaf about the size of your hand and it's in three little lobes. It's big, it's big. Yeah, big leaf, uh, very green during the summer and beautiful red colour at this time of year. Now that particular variety, the one that I would go for is a variety called Green Spring. So if you're going to a garden centre, ask them for the Boston Ivy Green Spring. It's a beautiful climber, um, but a big, what we call a compound leaf, one big leaf. You also have Parthenocissus uh, quincifolia, and quincifolia means five leaves. So that's the typical Virginia creeper. So the leaf is smaller, but it's in a five-lobed shape, and it has still got that beautiful colour as well. I prefer the Boston Ivy, the Green Spring. I think it's a nicer plant. Uh, Foliage-wise, it it looks better, I think, certainly during the summer, spring, summer, and autumn. The colour is fantastic on it as well, but that's just a personal choice. So there are those two varieties. You also then have a plant called Cisistriata, which is commonly called the Evergreen Virginia Creeper. So it retains its leaf in winter. It doesn't have the same intensity of red as the Virginia creeper, as the traditional variety, but it retains the foliage. So it's dark green during the summer and it goes a plummy red colour for autumn, winter. So the colder the winter we get, the redder it goes. So that's Cisistriata or the evergreen Virginia creeper. You've also got the Boston ivy called Green Spring and then you've got the traditional Virginia, Virginia creeper. creeper. Uh, Which is the really vibrant red one we see at the moment. Yeah, it is. But but also but the Boston ivy, the Green Spring, also turns a brilliant okay. shade of, uh, it kind of goes through a, a series of different colours, but they're oranges and dark reds and so on. It, it still is very yes. stunning. Yes. Um, so any of those three. So if you want something evergreen, go for the Cisistriata or the Evergreen Virginia Creeper. The other plant that I like at this time of year is the um, Tracheospernum jasminoides, which is the evergreen, um, which jasminoides, it, it, it smells of jasmine and looks like jasmine, but it's got lovely red foliage in the autumn as well. Okay. And it's, it's evergreen as well. So any of those four climbers you can plant now. Um, generally, you space them a metre apart. And as I say, you spread them out left and right tack them on as low as possible. Don't leave them on their bamboo cane because you'll have a gap then right at the base. So, so it's so a common mistake. So it's all about get, spreading it out. Get it spread, spread it out, tack it on with a couple of electrician clips and then the growth will he- head up vertical once we hit, hit the spring anyway. So um, yeah, well worth planting. Lovely colour. And it'll save you painting the wall. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know. Which yes, can be just yeah. a good, absolutely. Lots of people will be doing it for that reason. And they're great for nesting. Uh, the Virginia creeper actually, bees love it as well because it flowers. And you'll also find the birds will nest in it during the, the summer months. Yeah. The garden songbirds will use yeah. it for And nesting. even if you don't want to put it up against maybe the wall of the house, if you have a shed or something, it, it, it can really fine. make things that are a bit maybe not that aesthetically pleasing, uh, kind of dress them up a small bit. It does, yeah. And it just saves you having to, to, to maintain the wall and, and so on. Yeah. Now, from uh, how to start ivy and where to go, how to go about growing it, how do we get rid of it? <laughs> is the next question it's taking over the garden someone says okay well if ivy is look um, and one of the points I was making this this week in, in
in terms of the storm. Um, I often advise people to, particularly if they've got, they've got trees clad in ivy, particularly if the tree is vulnerable, if it's at, on the side of a road or overhanging, ivy adds, adds so much weight to trees that it is advisable to keep them clean of ivy, particularly when they're in vulnerable positions. Um, so the way to get rid of ivy, if it's on a tree, you simply just cut it at ground level, go right around the, the circumference of the tree, take about an inch of the stem of the ivy. You don't need to pull it down from the tree. The, from Once you cut it, it will die from that point up. And then you can treat the base of the ivy with SBK brushwood killer. That will kill it off and... and um, you control it. If you've got, got ivy, say, spreading under uh, on a bank or a slope and it's kind of taking over, again, you can spray it with the SBK uh, brushwood killer and that will control it as well. Finally, somebody's wondering, is the Virginia creeper safe for animals? It is, yeah. yeah. It's totally okay. safe. Yeah, right. it's no problem. Okay, Porik, we're just going to recap on um, the name of the moss killer for the hard surfaces. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I talk too much sometimes. Never, yeah. never. So the, so what I was recommending was the uh, pack. So it's spelled P-A-C. It's a liquid. You simply mix it in water, apply it onto the uh, hard surface area, and that'll kill the moss within four or five days. Excellent. Okay, <laughs> hopefully we got all of that. Now, um, we have a photograph here, Porik, yes. of an indoor plant. Yes. Oh, I don't know. It's suffering. Press, it's suffering. Is that going to The ever... resurrection, I think, is it, it was going to be needed here. So, yeah, look at it. It looks like it has been. It's it's in a... It's, it's in a pot and it's sticky as well, we're Yeah, told. so look at the stickiness could be a sign that there might be some pest on it. That we can't see it from the photograph, whether there is or isn't, but if you have aphids or you have any kind of uh, green fly, they tend to be sap-sucking and they leave this kind of residue after them. So that just check for that first of all. My advice really is to repot that plant. So take it out of the container it's in, uh, take off all the old compost that's 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 around the roots, and repot it into a fresh pot using a John Ennis based compost. And you will bring it back. There's still life in the plant. Keep it on a bright windowsill. Water about once every four. Uh, weeks and it'll be perfectly fine it'll kick back into growth again but do check is there any aphids any and they'll be physically moving on the plant and if there are give it a light spray of an insecticide just to control them now lupin seeds set and have appeared above ground Great. now but don't seem to be doing well will they grow in the spring yes they will and and look at a and i was making this point a couple of weeks back that if you sow the seeds of herbaceous plants like lupins or foxgloves um they'll germinate but they're not going to do a whole lot of growing now they'll do a little bit of growing over the winter particularly if you get some mild spells but really the trick now is just keeping the slugs away from them um, keep the weeds away from them. They're totally frost hardy, so they'll be fine out of doors. And as we come into March and April of next year, give them a couple of liquid feeds. They'll kick into growth and they'll be beautiful next next summer. So it's great to see them germinating yes. and coming on. So, yeah, yeah. you've done everything right. Yeah. You, won't, you won't expect a lot of growth over the next couple of weeks now. You know, they'll, they'll kind of okay. stay dormant. And until they're... Yeah, until, yeah but until do keep, proper time. keep them uh, free from slugs and also keep the weeds and any grass and rubbish away from the base of them. Now, gladioli have been spectacular They've been this beautiful year. this year. And they, they kind of give a second flush of colour there in the autumn. I had a, quite a number of, of uh, customers come yeah. in with, you know, uh, even pictures of them showing yes. me in yeah. August, you know, and, and September. So it was great. Yeah, just great when year things are them. starting to, to kind of maybe just die back, you have that. And they're such an easy bulb to grow. Like They're well worth planting. Lovely cut flower. Okay, how do we treat them now? Well, they are they are perennial. What happens with gladiolia is the the a new bulb grows on top of the old bulb, um, so they're they're perfectly fine left outdoors. Some people like to lift them and store them for the winter, and um, which can be done. And you can do that. They're beginning to go back now, uh, 
so the, the all the energy is returning to the bulb at the moment. So if you want to lift them and, and clean them off, you can do that at this time of year. Um, otherwise, you can just prune them back, prune back the stems and leave them in the soil for the winter. Now, if you've got very heavy wet soil, then it is... Uh, advisable to lift them and store them for the winter and replant in, in February or March but if you have a relatively dryish area uh, gladioli tend to come back year after year, for certainly for a number of years. Um, so you can, if you want to lift them and protect them then certainly this is the time of year to do that just dig them up, cut back the stem put them into a, a cold, dry dark shed for the winter and repot them then next February or March and put them out into the garden soil and they'll be perfectly fine. Such an easy an easy bulb to grow. I mean, they're as easy as daffodils to grow. Right. Uh, another person wondering about begonias. When and how do we lift them and store them for the winter? Okay, so here's one that you do, you need to lift because if you leave them in the soil, the frost is going to get them. And begonias are still in flower, so I would kind of wait until we get a bit of hard frost. Um, so enjoy the begonias for the next couple of weeks. I mean, they'll, they, they, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't stay in flower right through October. Um, but once we get the heavy frost, they're going to die back and that's the trigger to lift them. So you simply just dig them up. Again, shake off any soil that may be on the plant. I would advise then treating them with a little bit of green or yellow sulphur. Mm-hmm. So you can buy that in your local garden centre um, and that's a fungicide that helps to stop them rotting. And wrap them up in newspaper, keep them in a frost-free location. So somewhere like, uh, again, in a garden shed or um, if you've got an attic in your, in your garage somewhere like that where it's dry frost free for the winter then repot the following January, February and the great thing with begonias if you lift them is that you can divide them and you can spread them so from one plant you can propagate four or five from the one tuber um, so look at leave them alone for the moment enjoy them they're still in full flower there's no sign of them going out of bloom mm. at the moment if anything the bit of moisture that we've had in the last couple of weeks has brought them on even better um, so enjoy them at the moment and lift them sometime in October Okay and one wondering is it time to cut back a lily yeah, well, look, at if, if the lily has gone out of flower, it depends what variety of lily it is. The arum lilies, for example, are still given a little bit of colour and they're still lovely and green, so the frost will knock them back. If it's the oriental lilies with the big trumpet flowers, once the, the foliage is going yellow, mm-hmm. that's the trigger to cut them back, tidy them back. Again, they're totally frost hardy, so they can be left out for the winter period and uh, just maybe mark where they are because they're obviously during the winter you won't see them and next spring they'll come back okay. again. Now, and I, that's really the point I was making the, at the start of the programme. It's kind of that tidying up of the garden. So anything that's gone yellow, it's beginning to die back, like the gladioli, tidy them back put them to bed. Lilies, if they're going yellow, tidy them back as well. Prune back some of your shrubs. Do that kind of general tidy up over the next week or 10 days. Just don't don't wait for them to wither, wither completely. Completely, yeah, to, because yeah. we'll be back into wet weather and, and, yeah, and you, you know, you yeah. kind of miss the boat a little. Now, I bought some viola packs recently and when I went to plant them, they seemed to be rotting or had some type of fungus. What is it and what can I sow this time of year? Okay, well, what that could be quite simply is just botrytis on violas. So when plants are in packs, in little six packs, they're very close together and you can get this uh, uh, a kind of a mould called botrytis. It's a rotting disease on the uh, stems. Now, generally, once they're, if you clean them off and take off the yellow leaves and kind of take away anything that's rotting and plant them, they should be perfectly fine. And violas are a great plant to give winter colour. They're basically like a small pansy. So the flower's pansy-like, but it's a lot, lot smaller and they tend to be um, very, very colourful over the autumn, winter and spring period. So well worth planting out. Winter pansies can be planted at this time of year as well. Cyclamen can be planted, winter flowering heathers, all the spring flowering bulbs, which will flower from December 
onwards. Uh, polyanthus and primulus can be planted at this time of year. So there's a whole range of winter or autumn flowering plants. Uh, even some with nice berries like uh, Galteria is lovely at the moment for with beautiful berries and flowers on it at the moment. So there's lots of really good plants for autumn, winter kind of spring colour that you can plant now. But the vi- violas and the winter pansies are great. Now Tess is wondering, are there any flowers producing seeds that they, she could sow to help feed wildlife in winter? Well, in winter, you're, in winter, no. Not so much. No, well, it, it's, you just don't have enough time now to... to uh, but what Tess could do is, is plant burying shrubs. So things like pyracantha, cotoneaster, the skimmias, uh, varieties of holly, they all bear berries in the winter, which the birds just absolutely love. I mean, the bird, the blackbirds will sit on the pyracantha plant and just hoover <laughs> all the berries from it. So they're fantastic. So burying plants in particular are really good for um, for wildlife during the winter period. I'd also advise people to be putting up a few, uh, cleaning out the nesting boxes for the birds and also putting up some feeders at this time of year. But what Tess could do in terms of sowing seed, things like the phacelia that I mentioned for the bees, that's fantastic. You could sow the seed now, it will flower next spring and bring the bees back into your garden. And in the high pollinating uh, or high uh, nectar and pollinating flowers, flowering plants, generally wildflower seed like um, poppies are brilliant for us. The phacelia is really good for us. You could sow those now and they will flower next spring and summer of next year and bring the bees back into the garden. So the berries for the, the birds and the flowers for the bees and the hoverflies for next next season. Now, Phil has a mountain ash that has had four babies during the year. Okay. Is it okay to reset them out on their own at this time? Yeah, no, they're they're still in leaf at the moment. So what my advice is really just to just mark the areas where they are, let, let them go out of leaf in November and then dig them up and transplant them and put a little bamboo cane with the plant so you create this nice clean stem and that, that mountain ash will put on about two, maybe three feet of growth next year. So they'll actually grow quite strongly. Um, so yeah, the, and there's a great plant for, for garden birds. birds. The birds will feed on the berries on their own and, and naturally they you get the next generation starting again. Now, uh, we have... How do we get rid of a plant uh, in, in my growing in my border? Now, apologies if I mispronounce this. give it a lash. <laughs> Hatognia cordata chameleon. Not bad, Chameleon. not bad, yeah. Hutonia, 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 Hutonia yeah. Okay. So this is a plant... This is a plant called... Uh, commonly called St. Joseph's Coat. Okay. Because when you buy it, it's a ball of colour. It's got yellow and orange and very, very attractive leaves on the plant. However, it's one of these plants that if you plant it in the garden, it tends to spread. And that's the issue here. It's getting out of control and they want to get rid of it altogether. Okay. Well, then spray it off. Get a little bit of weed-free 360. Apply it to the foliage now. That'll eliminate probably 60% of it. Next spring, if it re-emerges, just treat it again and you'll get rid of it. And it is one of those plants you have to be careful where you plant it because it grows by underground stems, it spreads, and you'll find it popping up in different areas. So I would generally recommend planting it in a pot and sink the pot into the ground and keep it confined because it, it does spread and can become a bit of a nuisance. Um, so yeah, that's St. Joseph's Coat, Hutonia. Spray it with the weed-free 360. Do it now and... Um, retreat in the springtime and that should see it off. Now, somebody wondering uh, if people, if you stock traditional snowdrops, not the modern ones. Yeah, well, there there are whole, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of different varieties of snowdrops. Are all snowdrops white? Well, they know they can be shades of white and green. I know the name indicates white snow. And and some of them are cream coloured. Some of them have uh, little white or green specks on the leaves, so a mixture or on the flower, a mixture between white and green. There are literally 
hundreds of different varieties of snowdrops. But we have the traditional snowdrop available in the garden centre at the moment. We've quite a number of different varieties, um, but they're beautiful. And snowdrops are, if you, if you know somebody, if you have a friend that has snowdrops in the garden, the time to, to ask for them is in April, when the plants are in the green is the time to, to get them. That's a great time to divide them and to replant them. So if there's a particular variety that you like that a friend has or maybe is growing in a particular area, then in April after flowering, if you lift those plants, split them up into a couple of clumps and transplant them into your own garden, you've got yourself, you know, true to type, beautiful snowdrops that will come back year after year. Right. A pl- a pruning back both heathers and also uh, pruning roses. So do, when do I prune back heathers? They're heathers I bought and transplanted. And then what, I suppose, general pruning of roses. Okay, so heathers depends on the time of flowering. So you've got summer flowering varieties, uh, the the Kaluna uh, varieties, which have been flowering for the last number of, of weeks, and they're still in bloom. So the, the time to prune heathers is immediately after flowering. So it, depend, it depends really when they flower. So if they're flowering during the summer, you prune them kind of late autumn. If they're flowering during the winter and spring period then you prune them in late spring early summer so it really depends on the variety remember many of the winter flowering varieties are just coming into flower now like kramer's red or merton ruby uh, which are beautiful during the winter period so naturally enough if you trim them now you're cutting off the flowers so it depends on the variety if they're the summer flowering varieties i would leave them for another two to three weeks and prune them then and remember just remove the flowering shoot don't go too far into the old wood if they're winter or spring flowering varieties leave them alone until next april early may and prune them then Fantastic. Um, oh, roses. Uh, sorry. Yes, no, yeah, there's a question. Well, there's a number of different questions on roses in general, I suppose. So we might just have... Yeah, well, so it, it, if, ro- if your roses are still in flower and still very colourful, then that, leave them alone and let them continue to flower. Deadhead them, take off some of the old flowers. You could still give them a little bit of a feed and keep them going because they can often flower up, up till Christmas. If they've gone over and all the flowers have gone off them, mm. they're looking a bit sad, then certainly trim them back now. And you can shorten them by 50%. So if they're three feet high, cut them back by 18 inches, tidy them up. It'll stop them being damaged by the wind over the winter period. And uh, you can then give them a, a tighter pruning in January and February of next year. So if they're blooming, leave well enough alone, just deadhead them. If they've gone out of flower, then by all means, cut them back. Or if you notice buds, flower buds on them, again, leave them alone. Those buds will come into flower over the next couple of weeks. So it really depends on what stage they're at. Now, I've set a new lawn four weeks ago. Great. Is there something I can put on the lawn to get it established before the winter? The grass is up approximately three inches and the listener is in Belmullet. So the first thing you need to do this week... Cut it. Is cut it. Exactly. <laughs> because grass, like, like anything, once you trim it, it starts to tiller and fill out. So that's the important thing. And particularly if it's three inches high, I would recommend you two inches, you should have cut it. So the next dry day, which should be Monday or Tuesday, get the grass box on, go out and give the lawn a total trim. Then get yourself some autumn lawn feed, just a straight feed with no weed killer, no uh, moss control in it. Just get a, a good autumn feed and apply that over the area and that'll green it up. And you might even get a second cut between now and, say, the middle of October. Mm. So the, the trimming back is the most important thing to do with, the, with a new lawn to, keep it to, to get it to fill out and thicken up. Now, a rose bush got uprooted in this store, earlier storm in June uh, okay. after first bloom and I put it back. There was no second flowering. It was uprooted again on Wednesday. Oh. Would the plant be dead? It's heavy-leaved. 
Well, if there's plenty of leaves on the plant, it's then not it, dead. it's not dead. No, it's perfectly fine. Put it back down again and and firm it, or, or maybe move it to another area where it's where it's a little bit less windy. Um, I would trim it back as well, kind of take some of the weight out of it, give it an opportunity to, to reshoot. Um, you know, to put down because the wind is going to be tugging it if if you leave it tall for the winter. So my advice is really to prune it back for certainly by fifty percent, re replant it back into the garden soil again, and it'll be perfectly fine. Okay. Um, is there? I know the holly is there to feed the birds. Somebody wondering: Is there a way to keep the birds from the holly? Well, well, there's, there you can net them certainly, net but there are varieties like um, Golden King, which they which which is a female variety. It's got beautiful variegated foliage and red berries. I have it in the garden, and the birds don't like it. They don't go near it. They leave bird, the birds. The the berries are often on it for a full twelve months. Okay. So um, that's a variety to plant or put a net netting around them. Okay, we just very a couple of a couple of funny questions here. Um, well, not funny, funny, but uh, sunflowers a very specific location. Can they be planted in the Ballandine area? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but remember, I, I think they can be planted in lots of areas. They should, look, they need bright, sunny location, and if you've got that in Ballandine, they'll grow quite happily. Remember, the sunflowers, the season's over for them now, yeah. so you're really thinking of next spring. Okay. But yeah. And my finally, my apple tree fell during the storm. We'll do this very quickly. I strapped it back in place, but it looks hammered. Will it recover? It will. And again, my advice here with this one, like the rosebush, trim it back. Take some weight out of the tree. Shorten back the, the branches by maybe two or three feet. Take some weight out of it. It'll reshoot back into the soil again and it'll be perfectly fine. Lovely. We're going to have to leave it there, Porrig. All right. So... Really enjoyed, enjoyed, enjoyed being back. And good to have you back and uh, a good week coming, so enjoy Yeah, that. you get out there and get into the garden and, and uh, tidy it up and start planting. Okay, we'll, See you next Saturday. We'll talk to you all next Saturday. Thanks indeed. Uh, stand by, Michael Neary coming your way with Country Classics directly after the news at 10. From me until next Saturday, just after 7. A very good morning to you.